Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open them to Matthew 6. We will get there <clears throat> in a moment. Um, if you're a guest, welcome. Uh, we are wrapping up uh, a conversation, about a two-month conversation on the Lord's Prayer. Um, and we've been reading the Lord's Prayer every morning, uh, every Sunday morning, uh, together. And so this is our last shot. You guys ready? I won't make you stand up if you promise to read it loud and proud. Okay? All right, so it's going to be on the screen. Um, so let's read it together, and then we'll pray and jump in um, to the scripture. So Matthew 6, starting halfway in the middle of 9, here we go. Our Father in heaven, nice, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Well done. You guys ended on a great note there. Oh, oh, oh gosh, I'm not done. That's the, you know what happened is that's the part we're preaching today and I copied and pasted it somewhere else in my notes. Okay, let's pick it up. Here we go. And lead us not into temptation. <laughs> it's amazing I do this for a job. All right. So, yeah, that was still great despite my idiocy. All right. So uh, the pastor doesn't know the Lord's Prayer. So. Um, I'm going to paraphrase now. I'm, I'm going to read it again, and I'm going to insert the things that we have said, kind of the... Uh, the places where we've landed on each kind of guiding reality, just to remind your, remind your heart what we've talked about. And if you're new with us, just to catch you up to speed. So here it goes. Our Father, or what we've said, God of the universe, who loves me deeply, like a perfect father loves his child, not based on anything I've done. God who loves me deeply in heaven. You're not far away. You're near to me. You're here and now, all around me. Hallowed be your name, or... Let your name be beautiful in all the earth. Restore your reputation in the minds of everyone I know. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or show me in all the earth the beauty and wisdom of your ways that I would with a glad heart surrender to your rule and reign in my heart. Give us this day our daily bread. Or, Lord, I acknowledge that everything good that sustains me comes from you. Food, community, rest. Lord, give me what I need. Lord, cause me to flourish. Sustain me because you and you alone do it. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Or, God, I can't hide from you. I know I'm messed up. I acknowledge my sin more. I acknowledge your willingness to freely forgive my sin. God, let me be a causeway of your mercy and forgiveness to those around me. Let me image your forgiveness. Help me represent your grace to everyone. Which brings us to the last bit. Um, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The prayer ends with a final request to God for deliverance from evil, protection, leadership. This is how Jesus teaches us to pray. God's inviting us to further address and confront, guess what, your own weakness. Lead me not into temptation, areas in which you are tempted. This is a gut-wrenchingly honest prayer, if we'll pray it in honesty, right? So if you have a common area of temptation, right, just really fun to think about in your life, just go ahead and consider that. What is it? What's that area that just 
tends to get you, right? And if you're so spiritual that nothing tempts you, just take a nap because none of this will apply to you. But Jesus already let the cat out of the bag, y'all. When he told us to pray for forgiveness, he already let the cat out of the bag. He's already acknowledging you failed in the area of temptation, right? But now he's going a step further. And he's saying, now pray that God will lead you away from situations, circumstances that will test you and tempt you. It's really a fascinating request if you think about it. The word temptation here is the same word for test or trial or time of proving. And he's telling us to pray, God, don't lead me into times of trial, times of testing. God, don't lead me into places where I may be tempted to give up. He's literally saying, don't put me through the difficult test, Lord. Lord, don't make me endure trying times. That's what he's saying. But deliver me. Deliver me from evil, all evil. What comes to your mind when you think of evil? Suffering, right? Trials, adversity, spiritual darkness, demonic powers, all of it. Jesus is teaching to pray, Father, deliver me in specifics. You've, you've redeemed, you've delivered. It's what Jesus did on the cross. And now he's saying, now pray that God will do it in the specifics of your life. Deliver me from evil, whether the evil comes from my own wicked desires, which none of you have because, you know, she's right, or circumstances around me. God, deliver me. Save me from it. Jesus is saying, some of you need to hear this. Jesus is saying, it's okay to ask God to, to deliver you from difficulty. Can we hear that? Some of us have a very stoic Christianity, you know? Some of us, you know, some of us might even feel that this resistance to praying this because it feels selfish. I'll, I'll endure difficulty, right? Bring it on, right? I mean, we talk about suffering well here, right? Some of us might think it's more spiritual to act like following Jesus should be hard, <laughs> right? Should be labored, right? And I mean, there's hardship. That's true. There's hardship, man. There's going to be hardship that is directly correlated with the fact that you are following Jesus that is going to enter into your life. But the New Testament writers seem to think that the glory and the joy and the love of knowing God in this life will far outweigh any suffering or hardship we may have to endure. That's what the New Testament of the New Testament writers seem to think, right? Jesus is teaching you to pray, lead me away from times of testing and deliver me from darkness. Jesus himself, y'all, prayed this prayer in the garden. If this cup can pass, let it, is there no other way? It's the exact same prayer, in which we're going to look at in a sec. But there's so many layers to explore here in this scripture. So we're just going to open it up and peel it back and, and sit with the layers. And the first layer of this prayer, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil, might be Jesus wants you to take a proactive stance about temptation and evil in your life. He wants you to deal with it. He wants you to deal with it. He doesn't want you to just brush it under the rug like our Christian culture so often encourages us to do, right? He wants you to confront it. Take an aggressive stance and lead me away from it, right? Deliver me from evil. Deliverance is the very thing Jesus came to do on the cross by his death and resurrection. He's saying, now ask God to deliver you in the specifics of your own life. And during the first layer of this prayer forces us to uh, sit with how we deal with temptation in our lives, all right? This prayer, lead me not into temptation, is really a gut check of a prayer because you have to answer the question, what do you really want? 
do you really want to avoid temptation? I mean, can we be honest? Like, do you really think it's all that bad? Is sin really all that destructive? Like, some of us are just confused at why Jesus had to go through all that suffering and blood and death to deal with sin. It's not that, is it all that bad? I mean, the reality is, y'all, most of us just don't seem to mind being tempted. It just doesn't bother you. In fact, some of you may be thinking, man, I really don't have an area of like crazy intense temptation, right? Like thinking some person stuck between two options and they're wringing their hand. No, I don't. Nah, I don't have that. I'm pretty good, right? Like I'm just kind of cruising in life. But let me just say, if you don't seem to mind temptation, what really might be happening is you just might not giving it. You might not mind giving in, you know? It might not be that, you know, you, know you, got, you follow me there, right? If you feel like this prayer is just not relevant to you, if your heart, listen, if your heart doesn't long for the relief of not being on the battlefield, of not being in the thick of battle, just feeling war-torn, right? Exhausted in the fight, right? If your heart doesn't long for that, right? Sometimes losing, sometimes winning, war always raging, it's probably because you're not on the battlefield. It's probably because you're not in the fight against sin. You've possibly given up the fight against sin, anger, lust, gossip, whatever it is, you've resigned to coexisting with entrenched sin in your life. And this prayer seems kind of irrelevant because you've reasoned in your heart, it's okay to lie here. It's, it's justified because it's okay to lust here because no one's gonna, it's okay to gossip here because no one's gonna find out, right? You might not feel the need to pray this prayer in earnest because you've in reality stopped fighting the fight against sin. Isn't that a possibility? You logically see that's a possibility? Like you just gave up. Temptation rolls over you without any resistance, right? Now listen, listen, listen. I am not here to, it's not a drive-by guilting, all right? Like I'm, I can get there in my own life, all right? I've been there more than I want to admit. And I think today Jesus may be inviting you back into the fights. I think Jesus may be rousing your spirits to like, get back on the field, man. Like, stop letting it roll over you. Stop letting it have dominion over your heart and life. Get back in. The, I think Jesus today is inviting you into this right now. He's saying, get back in the fight. Start praying this prayer, man. Maybe you've given in. Maybe you've given in so much to sin that that's just become a normal part of your life. Normal part of your life. Listen, man, though the righteous fall seven times, man, he gets back up. He gets back up, y'all. Being righteous isn't about not falling. It's about getting back up. And I think today, right now, Jesus is confronting some of you guys and saying, get back up, man. He wants to strengthen your knees. He wants to strengthen your back. Some of us just bow down with sin right now in our hearts and lives. And Jesus is straightening your back right now. He's saying, get back in the fight, man. Get back in it. And I think it may start with just praying this prayer honestly. Lord, God, lead me away from this. Some of this prayer is acknowledging some element of powerlessness under it, isn't it? Or you wouldn't be asking. And I think the first place God is inviting you to start in these areas of entrenched sin in your life, whether you are going to admit that you have it or not, is by praying, Father, please lead me away from this. I'm, I'm powerless under it. Like, I'm, it's just magnetic, man. I'm just tractor beam, you know. <laughs> Sucks me in. And, you know, I think God might be inviting you to disregard your past failures. Can we sit with that for a second? To disregard your past failures and get back in the fight. 
attitudes, habits, and behaviors that you know are sabotaging your joy, right? And it may start by honestly praying this, right? And then, it's, and then step two then is gonna be setting up some safeguards, which is unfortunately gonna involve other people, right? But I think God may be inviting you to get serious today, right now, about confronting and addressing areas of temptation in your life. Because here's the deal. Christian or not, I'll tell you most people's approach to temptation, right? They stick it in their back pocket. You're not gonna pursue it, I'm a Christian. It's going to keep it close by. It's going to leave my options open. <laughs> right? We don't burn our bridges. We leave just enough for us to get by when we need to. We stick it in our back pocket. We fight it about as much as my wife and I fight stopping at Krispy Kreme when the light's on. You don't. You slam on the brakes and you... Heal in, right? Right? And then, you know what's funny about that? If the light's not on, you know what's funny? I'm like, let's just, let's just circle. Let's just circle back around. You know what? I think we forgot. Let's just, right? And that's how many of us deal with temptation in our life. We linger around the door. And even if the door is shut to us by the sovereignty of God, even if in his mercy he shuts the door, we're just like, ah, let's go I was going to linger. Just hang out here, right? right? You drive by and the light's not on. You're like, whew, saved. And then all of a sudden, you're, you're back there again, right? You circle back for a minute. That's the reality of how we deal with entrenched areas of temptation in our life. Not only do we not avoid it, we actually subtly find ourselves at the door even when we're not in the area. Isn't that such a fascinating and insidious peculiarity about sin? You can mentally and intellectually hate it. You can despise what it does to you and to your relationships, and yet you find yourselves totally unable to break the pattern in your life. It's like you just wake up from a fog, and there's the door. <laughs> well, I guess, you know, you're drawn to it, fighting against it the whole time, and yet drawn to it. It's why Jesus said, y'all, whoever sins is a slave to sin, right? It's so why Jesus teaches us to ask not only the only one who can break it, right, to address him as the only one who can break it, but ask him to do it. Break it, Lord. Lord, break the allure of this area in my heart and life. But the thing is, he will not do it without your permission. So Jesus is saying, ask. Ask that God will disarm the allure of sin. That is a legit New Testament prayer. God disarm the allure of God I can't stop talking bad about people whatever it is in my subconscious God whatever it is in my subconscious is leading me to just heap up contempt on others and call people to contempt to hold other people in contempt God I can't you have to help me God have mercy lead me away from it look at, look at, look at me I don't care how entrenched the sin may feel in your life, whether it's gossip or porn or anger or alcohol, I have seen God completely break the chains of any of this stuff off of my friends. It is remarkable. It confounds me every time. I'm like, man, I'm here sweating in the trenches and God just broke it for you, bro. Like amazing. I, every time it confounds me, God can do this in your hearts and lives, but he's not gonna do it if we don't ask him, I don't think. It's very rare in scripture that he will override your will, right? It is your God-given dignity. 
But I have seen God, y'all, what years of counseling and years of effort and discipline couldn't do, do in an instant in my friends, right? It mystifies, confounds me, right? And it also fills me with burning hot worship for who God is and what he does. Huh? That's one layer of it. That's one layer of this prayer. It confronts us with the question, what do you really want? Do you really want to avoid temptation? It calls us to believe that God can and will deliver you from areas of entrance sin and weakness in your life. Now, there's another layer here, and it's an intellectual layer. And it's a question that you may have had when you read prayers like this that Jesus uh, pray, uh, teaches us to pray, which is this, kind of an intellectual struggle that some people have with this prayer. Okay, God is telling us to ask him to not lead us into temptation. Does he normally lead us into temptation? Like, is he inclined to do that? Does he do that sometimes? Does he tempt? Does he entrap us sometimes, right? Is it like divine gotcha journalism? Like, what, what, what's God trying to get at here? And James is going to deal with that, like, just straight out. He says, let no one say when he's being tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. He tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured away and attacked by his own desires. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived. So James just set the record straight, man. God ain't going to tempt you, all right? He doesn't tempt. God doesn't tempt. But this is what's indisputable and saturating all of Scripture. He's going to struggle with this. He does test. God does test. Y'all, indisputable in Scripture. You can't get around it. It's saturated in the entire story. Now you're saying, well, tempting versus testing, isn't that semantics? Come on, Chris, you know. No, it's not. It's entirely different because testing and tempting have completely different aims. Both are revealing. Both are a trial. One party intends to lead you towards evil. Another party intends to lead you towards health and empowerment and life and autonomy, right? Making decisions on your, like, you know, right? Does that make sense, right? Temptation is to do something new is wrong. A test is to whether or not you will choose what is right. Temptation is to make you fall. A test, y'all, is an opportunity to stand. And if you're just like, well, that's just how you look at it. Exactly. It's the exact same thing. The crazy thing about test and temptation in Scripture, it, it is often the exact same occurrence. It's the same scenario. It's the same fork in the road. It's the same situation. It's the same decision. On the one hand, it's an opportunity for you to cling to the wisdom of God, to trust him, to stand on a promise that you're barely wiggling on anyway, right? And on the other hand, the enemy takes that same fork in the road and makes it a trap for you. He distorts the, a whole circumstance, and it, and it becomes a snare which he intends to kill you in. Hmm? God here in your corner, willing you to choose life and the enemy, any other enticing you to choose your own wisdom, to trust yourself. And all of this y'all happening in an instant at the same time in the same occurrence over and over and over again, a million times a day. That's the battlefield. That's the war, right? It's what it means to be a Christian. In fact, many times I've thought being Christian, it seems to me like this long uh, pathway in which I'm walking on these, like, these, these triangles. This is what the vision. I got like, triangles right here. And then you have these boards across each triangle right in the center, right? Just balancing. And I feel like walking as a Christian over a long period of time is just this walking down the center line, trying to avoid these imbalances, right? Trying to get in these wrong perspectives. And it's just so easy. One step, boom, imbalanced. One step, boom, right? Off, off center, right? The same instance, same occurrence. It's a test and it's a temptation. God testing towards good. Will you trust me? Every time, y'all, 
you wake up from the fog at the door of your entrance temptation, I want you to hear a whisper in, your, in the back of your mind, will you trust me? Will you stay your hand? Will you not push up against that door of anger or lust or frustration or whatever it may be for you? It is a test. It is a temptation. It is both. The enemy distorting that opportunity towards evil and God willing you to trust him in ways you have not trusted him yet. It's higher in, deeper up, right? What's that? I got that wrong. Whatever it is, you know what I'm talking about, right? Further on. Some Lewis person can help me with that. All right. This pervades all of Scripture, all right? In the garden, the very framework of reality founded on a test. He puts them in the garden and he says, you can choose to trust me. You can choose fidelity and loyalty and love and joy and eternal life. In the garden, y'all, the tree uh, of life has full access, right? Or you can choose to define good and evil for yourself. And the test is represented in a tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, you can have everything in the garden. You can have everything, everything, just not that. What does that mean? It means that we choose to trust God when it comes to what is good and what is evil. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He says, you can have everything, but you can't have that. You, have to, you can't define for yourself what is right and wrong. He says, you have to let me do that. And when you take of that and you decide to define for yourself what is right and wrong, and you distort the, the, the boundaries of what is healthy and good, I mean, come on, right? Do we not do that? This isn't bad for me, right? It says then you've, you've broken from trusting him in this area. This, this, was the, this was the test of Adam and Eve, and they failed. They failed, right? A deceiver intercepts them and distorts the test and uses the exact same opportunity to trust in God. He uses that exact same opportunity to doubt God, right? And they fail. But y'all, this crazy thing about scripture, even in the shadow of that failure, God speaks of a representative of humanity that will one day come and pass the test for us all. It's remarkable. And the story goes on, man. Abraham from Moses to David, all endure testing. They all endure trials. They all endure temptations. In some cases, they pass with flying colors, man. They trust fully, even at great risk, right? They follow God into the unknown, leave their homeland. Abraham would offer his own son as God commanded. But then he had sex with his maid to make God's promise come true and then abandons her in the wilderness with her son, not to mention lies about his wife as a sister, right? He passes some and he fails some miserably. The people of Israel wander in the desert, failing test after test, choosing not to trust God. All the way through the prophets and the exiles, we see some passing the test beautifully, but none of them passing it all perfectly. They all, all ultimately fail, right? David defeats Goliath, right? Massive trust right? Become, trust the Lord to ordain him and, and instant, uh, it, uh, make him king, right? Trust God and all that stuff. You know that story. It's crazy, right? Brings the ark back to Jerusalem and massive, right? And then has an adulterous affair and kills the husband of the mistress through a military conspiracy. See, all of them pass tests beautifully and all of them fail. None of them are perfect. They, they, none of them ultimately pass. And then comes Jesus, now, can you think of any time that Jesus was tested that he endured? Well, yeah. 
There's two main places in scripture, right? One is where he is tested in the wilderness before his ministry. And then the other is in the garden of Gethsemane at the end before his betrayal and his crucifixion, right? Jesus himself prayed this prayer, spare me from this time of testing in the garden. It was in the garden. It was in a garden that Adam and Eve fail. And it's in a garden that Jesus shows us how to pass. Right? And we often miss this. Jesus actually asks, is there any other way? I'm going to read it to you. Matthew 26, 38. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, if it possible, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray. Here's the same thing that you might not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went to pray. Three times he prays it, right? Comes back, finds their eyes sleepy. This was the greatest test of Jesus right here in this moment. And you can feel the agony of his soul literally asking God, is there no other way? If it's possible, let this, path, let this cup pass from me. And it's interesting. It's the exact same word he uses in the Lord's Prayer. It's the exact same pray that you might not enter into temptation, right? Ask God that you would not have to endure the time of trial, the time of proving. Jesus is saying, y'all, it's horrible. It's horrible. Agony unto death. Jesus, in this moment, admitting the, the horrificness of the test, it can be horrifying. The word trial is interesting. It has two meanings. One, trial, trial and tribulation, right? We think of going through trying times, right? Difficult times. But the word in English and Greek also has a judicial meaning. If you're going to trial, you're going to court, aren't you? You're going to the place where things will be seen for what they are. You're going to the place where things will either be proven true or untrue. At least that's the hope, right, of the judicial system, right? The evidence will be shown for what it is, and everyone will see clearly what really happened. Now, isn't it interesting that there's a clear connection between the place where things and people are seen for what they really are, where the truth is found out, and, and suffering, right? There's nothing like suffering and adversity and difficulty that will reveal who you really are. The trial may be difficult circumstance, but it's also difficult because it reveals things about you, right? So in the Bible, the wilderness is always revealing things. It's always testing people. In the wilderness, y'all, we will always run towards things we truly believe are necessary for life, right? And the things we run to in difficult times, stressful times, is often a sobering gut check of what we really believe brings and sustains life. Are we chatting? Mm-hmm. So the children of Israel tested in the wilderness. Jesus tested in the wilderness. Theologian Paul Tripp says, suffering draws out the true thoughts, attitudes, assumptions, and desires of your heart. And so it does. So it does. Right? I mean, this, I mean this, just the past couple of years, you know, of revealing all sorts of things about our own hearts, right? And in Jesus' moment of deepest suffering, when he has... In, when he's in the middle of the test, he did what none of us can fully do. He passed the test. Y'all, Jesus passed the test. He, he trusted without reservation, fully, completely, continually. He said, not my will be yours, right? And it cost him his life. It should be noted. It cost him his life. 
Jesus passed when every single one of us failed. He trusted when we would have doubted and bailed out, right? That rhymed. You might look at Jesus and say, well, he was God. He doesn't know what it's really like to be tempted like us normal humans. Anyone? Anyone? Like, well, I mean, he's Jesus, you know? Of course he passed the test. He's God, right? But think about this. Think about this. I want you to think about this. Who knows more the strength of an opponent? Who knows the true strength of an opponent? The guy who, me, right, who walks in the room, boom, first one knocked out, I'm done, right? I'm like, that dude's strong. <laughs> knocked me out one shot, dude is strong. Me or the guy who goes all nine rounds, right, to the very, very end and then uppercuts the opponent at the very end and defeats him. Who knows the strength of the opponent more? Well, the guy who goes nine rounds. Dude, I didn't even brush the, the fringes of that dude's strength, right? Like he didn't even have to muster anything, knock me out. The guy who goes nine rounds is going to say, I know the strength of that opponent much more than you. Like you didn't even make it one round, bro. <laughs> now Jesus went all the way to the end, right? Spin kick the devil in the mouth and won, right? Now, or think of this. Think of a river, right? Who knows the strength of a river? The dude who like stips, dips his toe in and then his feet are swept out and he, you know, wakes up you know, a couple miles down. Or the guy who wades all the way into the center of the strength of that river and holds his footing. Who knows the strength? The guy who goes all the way in the center, makes it through. To the, look, Christian victory, y'all, is clinging to Jesus in the rapids of life, man. That's Christian victory. It's clinging to the guy who can hold his footing when the rapids of suffering and adversity are sweeping you off your feet. Christian victory is clinging to Jesus. And Jesus offers, to, offers to, that victory to us, y'all. But this too is your choice. And it's a test. <laughs> Will you cling to him when everyone else bails? Yeah? Will we trust his victory when everyone else mocks? Some of you are in seasons of wilderness right now. And it's horrible. It's horrible. It's profoundly painful. I just want to say to you two things. Man, he knows more than you think about how hard it is. Right? Everyone bailed on him too. They mocked him too. He too has suffered. And he is inviting you in this season. Y'all, this season, right now, where you are, right? This season to choose to trust despite the pain. To choose to trust despite the unknowns, right? It's really, y'all, the season, if you're in the wilderness season, you have to understand it is really an opportunity for you to trust God in areas that you have not trusted him yet, right? Even in the pain, even when it hurts, even when we are clinging to him with all we have, right? It does not mean it will not hurt. Hmm? Because here's the deal. Anytime we refuse our own sinful desires and choose to trust him, it will be painful. Do you know Why? Because it is a kind of death. It is. It's a kind of humiliation that you are admitting. I don't know what's best for me. You do, Lord. That's humiliating. Anyone want in here just admit, I don't know what's best for me? No, right? Like, I know what's best for me. I know how to run my life. Look at my life. <laughs> you know? No one wants to admit they don't know what truly makes for life. And every time we do, Every time we will choose to trust God as to what truly makes for life, you, you, you're dying. <laughs> Listen, man, I, I have to talk to my soul sometimes. Sometimes I'm like, die, right? Die, soul. <laughs> Get out of here, man. And none of y'all must have to, I'm just, I'm, maybe it's just me, right? That's what the struggle against sin looks like in my heart so often. Trusting the Lord, submitting to a kind of humiliation 
of acknowledging, I don't know what's best for me, God, because over and over and over again, my heart draws me to what, what's killing me. It's killing my relationships, killing my ability to be a father, killing my ability to be a good husband, killing my ability to be a good pastor. And I try and try and try again, and still, my heart's just going towards it. God, help me. I'm, I'm acknowledging in that moment that I don't know in reality what's best for me because I'm continually drawn to what kills me. It is the kind of humiliation and the kind of death. Every time we tell our sinful impulses, no, not my will, but God's will, you are admitting a weakness and inability, and it is humiliating. It's why in Romans 6, we're ta- it talks about being crucified with Christ. It is exactly what it's talking about. It's putting that part of your heart and life that is drawn towards wickedness up on the cross with Jesus, right? And I know this by experience because I'm in the fight with you every single day, right? All of us are being bombarded with opportunities. You can call them tests, you can call them temptations, but all of us are being forced, whether or not we will admit it, to choose whether or not we will trust God in these moments, right? Of everyday life, right? And when we choose to die, it is going to hurt, but there's no other way to follow Christ. There is no other way to follow Christ. He did it. He was humiliated unto death, even death on a cross. And when he says, if anyone would follow me, let him take up his cross and follow me, the implications are clear. The way of Christianity is the way of the cross. Hmm? A continual laying down our own wisdom and choosing God's. And our strength comes from knowing Jesus endured it first. And he's inviting us over and over into his strength and his joy his victory over sin and temptation. Hebrews 4 says this. We're going to wrap it up here. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. What we have to know is it's okay to ask God to protect you from difficult trying times. But what we have to know also is that every temptation is also an opportunity. It's an opportunity to grab hold of Jesus, trust him amidst the rapids of your own frailty. And it shouldn't be missed that it was at a tree that the first Adam failed, and it's at another tree that the second Adam, Jesus, passed the test once and for all. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You've been healed. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, Adam. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all shall be made alive. Let's stand and pray.